Our readings are from Job chapter 1, verses 8 to 22, and chapter 2, verses 3 to 10. These can be found on page 509 in the Red Bibles. Starting to read at Job chapter 1, verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands, so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabians attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on the camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the eldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. And then continuing from chapter 2, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity though you incited him against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life, 
But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. This is the word of the Lord. Morning, folks. Uh, My name is Paul. If we've not uh, met or spoken before, apparently, I literally take chocolate out of the hands of children. Um, So... That's, uh, that's new to me this morning. Um, uh, we are starting this book of Job, and um, at some point, a couple of points early on in the academic year, I said um, that one of the things I wanted us to look at was, what does it mean uh, to have a Christian faith? Not necessarily everyone here will hold a Christian faith. Many of you will, perhaps, but what does it mean to have a Christian faith in a very complex world? Uh, what does it mean to hold that, uh, um, that belief in, in, a, in the world that we have? Um, I doubt it takes much persuasion that our world is pretty complicated these days. And doing, uh, looking at the book of Job is part of that, um, as we'll go through these next few weeks. Um, and look at the life of uh, Job in this extraordinary book. Um, we'll start by thinking about three things. We start to think about understanding suffering this morning. We'll start by thinking about three things. Um, we're going to look at understanding suffering and, and think about... How, do we have a complex view of it, or do we have a simplistic view of it? And what does the Bible uh, introduce to us? We'll look at how the book of Job itself challenges shallow views of suffering. Shallow views of suffering. And then lastly, we'll think about where we start with suffering, given what we've taken in. So we're going to have a look at it. Um, one of the most remarkable things about the book, and the way it's set up, is that it opens with what I would kind of describe as a, a split-screen uh, it's got a cinematic view. Um, now, this is, this, this is very old these days, but you, occasionally in cinema or TV, you get a split screen where you see two different things happening at the same time. And as, as the viewers at that point, you are privileged enough to see everything that's going on at once. Um, and the way the book starts, and Pete introduced us to um, uh, Job and who he was and his family and his uh, kind of situation, um, and that's one side of it. But then... It moves to two screens, and we are, those of us who are kind of listening into what's going on here, are privileged enough to see what is going on in the, the kind of heavenly council room. Uh, this discussion with God uh, and uh, his angels, verse 6, chapter 1, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan was with them. Satan said, where have you come from? And he says, from roaming to and fro on the earth. And uh, the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. Uh, a man uh, who fears God and shuns evil. We are, we are given that perspective. And from the outset, we know more than anyone else does as we go through the book, and more than Job does as we go through the book. 
And so what we're being introduced to as, as, the, as, as we're kind of invited to see this man, Job, is that we are, we're being told, you, you will need a multidimensional view of what's going on. You'll need a multidimensional view of suffering uh, in what's going on. Um, which is important, I think, and interesting, given that we live in a, an age where suffering has become radically simplified. If you spent any time kind of tracking news stories, tracking uh, uh, online responses to news stories, um, we have a radically simplified view of suffering where it's a bit like um, suffering top trumps. If you've ever come across the game top trumps, there are different categories, uh, and you, you play a card and somebody beats you because they've got a higher figure on their, their cards. And someone says, well, this suffering is more important than that suffering. So that suffering doesn't matter to me. My suffering is more important than your suffering. So it doesn't matter. And we have this kind of radically polarized view. It's interesting, a, a writer, historian, um, Simon Seabag Montefiore, it was writing about the uh, situation that are faced by Israelis and by Palestinians um, in this past week. Obviously, tracking that kind of news story. Um, and you'll have, if you've followed any of it, you'll see the, there is there's outrage. And there's exactly this going on, this kind of this polarization, this simplification of suffering. But, and he calls this out in a very interesting piece that he wrote this past week or so. He calls out this idea that there is a, a competition in tragedy going on. And there is a hierarchy of victimhood. My suffering is more important than your suffering. Their suffering is more important than this suffering. And it's become radically simplified. It's a zero-sum game. My suffering nullifies yours. And I think we just need to be aware that that's kind of the, the, you see it in individuals, you see it in national events. And that kind of mindset doesn't help stand in someone's shoes and see the pain that they are going through. It doesn't help us do that. And the book is challenging that. And the book of Job gives us a far more nuanced and sophisticated view of suffering than certainly I think you get uh, these days. And to have that simplified view, it doesn't help us see that frequently, see, suffering then needs to be performed. So my suffering, I need to demonstrate my suffering. I need to, t- I need to tell you and show you. And it doesn't help us see the people for whom suffering is something that is unseen. Suffering that is quietly held and not known about and no one grasps and ever really sees. Because that has no currency in our simplified age. And the Bible says there's a far more nuanced and sophisticated way to think about this. Now, I say this, as I say this, just as you hear this talk, as you hear this series, as we go through it together, as you hear me this morning, I'm aware that there'll be kind of probably a couple of different um, places you might be coming from. And, and for some, you may be thinking about suffering from a place where things are going pretty well, you're thinking about it. It's actually a very useful thing to do, to think about it in advance, to think about how you think about it theologically, how do you think about God and the world and those things. Some of you will be coming from that kind of place. It's a very important thing to do. Some of you will be coming from a place that is the bottom of the well. And you're trying to think about suffering in the midst of it. And I just want, again, I want to say that the Bible is sophisticated enough to say both of those things are important and valid. Both of them are necessary. They are different It is different to think about suffering when things are well and when you think, how do I think about God and his relationship to suffering? It is different to think about it than in the midst of darkness and struggle when you're crying out to God 
Why is this happening to me? So I understand there is a, the Bible is not coming at this and with a simplistic view. And we're going to think about why, actually. So the Bible actually, this opening chapter of Job challenges shallow views of suffering because, as I say, there are things that we are privy to as we see this split screen that Job is not privy to. But they take some kind of taking in. They're not straightforward. What are they? The first is that we see that Satan is real and evil, but God is in control. So when in the first round that comes and Satan says, Look, you've put a hedge around him and you've, you've, kind of in, you've enclosed Job and you've given him lots of lovely things and he's got a family and he's got all this uh, livestock and, and he's got a good couple of trust funds if he's in danger at any point and, and there's all sorts of lovely things he's got going on. So, of course, says Satan, if you, if you do that, Job is uh, uh, you know, going to be pleased with you. But the Bible pictures Satan as then somebody who is real, who is evil, who is looking to try and bring Job down. He wants to instigate this suffering. He wants to kind of say, Job is just in it for the benefits. If you take those away, then he won't, he won't care about you. He won't love you. So Job, Job, Satan is, is, is trying to will this, trying to, uh, to bring this about. But notice at the same time, the book is very clear. God is the one who is in control. So God is the one who says, okay, but on the man himself, don't lay a finger. So you can't touch Job, he says in the first round. Second round comes, Satan says the same kind of thing. He says, well, you know, this is great. Job is, you know, you've taken those other things away, the, uh, the series of events that happen. But uh, of course, he'll want, uh, you know, it's, it's our own life. It's our own health that we really care about. So if you start to mess with his health, then he won't love you. Chapter uh, 2, verse 4. And God says again, okay, but you can't kill him. Now, two things are going on at once. Satan is real. He's, he's evil. He's trying to bring Job down. He's trying to undermine uh, who he is. God, at the same time, allows that suffering to take place. He says, you can go this far, but you can't go any further. He says, okay. And I suspect that's the bit that we find very hard that God says, okay. But the Bible very carefully presents God, not as somebody who can't do anything about suffering, but he's also not the one who wills it. Satan is real and evil. What happens is not, then we're told, because uh, of what Job has done. And this is really quite kind of foundational for the book. It's not about what Job has done. Job is described as blameless. Early on in the, in the early verses, chapter, verse 5, chapter 1, he says, um, talks about Job as somebody. Um, now, blameless doesn't mean perfect. doesn't mean he gets everything right. Blameless, in fact, it, Job is incredibly sensitive to sin. And he's, he's incredibly sensitive to his relationship with God. So Job is, we're told, he, after a period of um, uh, feasting had run its course, Job would make arrangements for his children to be purified. He would burn sacrifices for them, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And that was his regular custom. Job is not 
blameless meaning perfect. He is living a life of faith and repentance. And he's living a life sensitive to God, sensitive to uh, sin in his own life and that of his children. And so he offers those sacrifices. But it means that, if you think about it, what the, the, the book is introducing is this suffering that happens to a man. And it's seemingly undeserved. It's seemingly out of the blue. He's living a life that you would say, well, that's the kind of life God wants him to lead. And there's no, there's no account for this, that you've done that thing wrong, Job, so of course this is happening to you. And the book is prepared to say, there is some suffering which happens which is undeserved, which is senseless in that sense. We can't, we can't rationalize it. And again, that's a very hard thing for us to hold, but it's the complexity of suffering that the Bible presents. And then third, the Bible voices, the book voices, simplistic views of suffering. It actually, it actually introduces very sort of shallow, simplistic views of suffering so as to challenge them. And it's, it's what happens with uh, um, Job's wife uh, and um, her words. Now, you'll know the, the sort of the events that happen uh, through, uh, uh, through Job's, uh, the, the four messengers who come. Actually, just interestingly, the, the four paragraphs with the four messengers, as they come through, they alternate between human evil and natural disasters. And they go back and forth. It's very carefully crafted. They go back and forth. There's human evil, there's natural disasters. And these things before uh, Job, um, and then when, when the kind of second round of things happens to him uh, and his health is attacked, he sits down uh, in the ground and he kind of grabs a piece of pottery and he kind of scrapes himself. He's in desperate straits. And verse 9, um, chapter 2, he's, his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. And she has a view of the world. I don't, I don't always know quite what we're meant to make of her and her response. In one sense, I think you can understand why she says that. But the seeds in, in what she says there, curse God and die, are actually, they, they actually contain kind of two classic ways of viewing suffering. So one is to curse God, blame God. It's God's fault. The suffering, look at what's happening to you. It, what, just shake your fist at God. The other is to say, go and die. Blame yourself. I don't know what it is you've done, but you, just, you need to bring it to an end. It's your fault, clearly. And there's these two ways that you're kind of classic responses to suffering. Either, either God is a monster, curse God, blame God. It's his fault. How, how can there be that kind of God? In fact, that's normally, I think, that's an easy path away from religion, away from faith. Because really, in, in reality, if God is a monster like that, there's no real God, is there? You say, oh, God is a monster. What, what an awful figure he is. I will stop believing in him. But equally, blame yourself. You failed. You're being punished. Something you've done, and this has, come, this has been visited upon you. And that is the classic religious view. Classic religious response to something. As in, you know, some, you've done something wrong. You just need to try harder. You need to figure out what it is and work it out. The three friends who we will meet across the course of this, it is overwhelmingly their viewpoint. Job, I don't know what it is you've done, but it's pretty bad, and you need to sort it out, figure it out, put it right, and maybe God will sort it out for you. But it's a classic religious view. Try harder, do your best, something internally, you've done something wrong, it's being visited upon you, change it. And they're both very shallow views. 
of suffering. And that and the, here in the book of Job, to say, look, this is, a way, this is way too simplistic a view of suffering. Suffering is multidimensional. It's highly complicated. And we are being, the curtain is being pulled back so that we can start to see some of that. It doesn't make it any easier to process. But don't come, don't come expecting a shallow view like that. Satan is real, he's evil, he's active. God is in control. It's not happening outside of his view. It's not because of what Job has done, and the book can voice those simplistic ideas so as to challenge them and say, that's where you're coming from, I'm going to push you. It's not deep enough. So where do you start with suffering with that in mind? Where do you go? How do you think about it? Where do you start with suffering? I want to suggest that Job does a couple of things. But you, first, if we look at how he responds, he brings together what I call crying and creeds, belief and brokenheartedness. Uh, he brings together, just to have a look, with, uh, after, the, uh, after the first round of things that happened to him. So chapter 1, verse uh, 20, the first sort of sequence of things, those, the human evil and the natural disasters. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Can you see, there's, there's two things that he's going on there, crying and creeds. What do I mean by that? I mean Emotion, the, the reality of what he's suffering. He, he uh, tears his robe, he shaves his head. It's, it's the anguish and the cry of pain and darkness. And the Bible isn't afraid to voice that kind of emotion, to show that kind of sorrow. I don't know, I don't know how you find being in church. So I, I sense you know, my interaction with frequently the idea that if I was to cry in church, I would somehow be doing something wrong which is not what the Bible is saying. Brokenheartedness, sorrow, the anguish, the cry of somebody who is going through things. He has that, but he also has his belief. He has creeds, I, I, shorthand, belief. What he believes about God and who he is, uh, his, his beliefs, he says, do you know, see what he says? Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Naked I came into this world, and naked uh, I shall depart. That is true for absolutely every one of us here. There isn't one of us who is going to leave this world holding on to the things that we have accumulated along the way. I don't know that necessarily we engage with that a great deal. None of us. Now, Job loses his family, and he loses his wealth, and his property, and he loses his health, and not one of us is going to be able to take our family with us, going to be able to take our, our wealth with us, or our properties, or the money that you've got. Not one of you is going to take the health with you. I take enough funerals to know nobody takes anything with us. And we don't often talk about death in that way, the reality But it is absolutely true in Job's understanding of the world. We come into the world with nothing. We will leave it with nothing. 
And it's interesting that although Satan says to God, you know, you've hedged him around, you've put these lovely things in his place, but I suspect frequently these days we are the ones who put buffers between us and death. We are the one who creates the wealth, the properties, the family. So long as I've got those things, as long as I know what I could fall back on if things were bad. We are the ones who put our health and we put everything we can to preserve and protect it. We are the ones who put the buffers between us and the reality. Now, Job holds these two things together. And the Bible is saying to us, Job is saying to us, you have to hold the complexity of those two together. Crying and creeds, belief and brokenheartedness. If you can't hold those two, you will, just, you will end up down one of or other of a shallow dead end of suffering. If you just have your, um, your, your, uh, your brokenheartedness, if you just have your sorrow, you'll have an understanding of what somebody's going through. You'll have an understanding of what you're going through. But if you have no belief, you have no creed, you have no framework, then you might as well... You're, it is, there's a meaninglessness to that. There's a fatalism to that. Why, why are we here? We, just, we literally we just go through this and then we die and that's it. But if you just have your beliefs, your creeds with you, and you don't have that kind of humanity, if you don't have the sorrow, if you don't have the tears to, to be alongside someone, to know in yourself the anguish that that is, if you don't have that, then you're just you're, you're in an echo chamber. And you can... You can, you, know, you can deliver a sermon to somebody. You can tell them what they should believe and what they should hold on to. The kind of stoicism. But it's not dealing with the reality of who we are as physical creatures made by God. It's not dealing with the reality of our experience of life and who we are and why we, we're made to relate to others and to God. We're, it's, not, it's not engaging with any of that. Don't come to Christianity thinking, oh, it's got a simplistic view of suffering. I suspect many of us do. I mean, we come thinking, yeah, I'm sure basically the Bible is probably just saying, oh, well, yeah, suffering's hard. Trust God. Get on with it. Actually saying suffering is, you need a multidimensional view of this. You need, you need to understand the complexity that is going on. And Job sits in the dust and rents his heart and his tears pour out and he says naked I came into the world and naked I will leave but just Job in this and just taking a a view of where this is going he does so but Job doesn't know why he suffers Job doesn't know why he suffers and you know he will he never finds out he's never told we're going to go through this, and he will never know. We are privileged. We get the split screen. We get to see what's going on. We get to understand some of it. Job will never find out why he is suffering in the way he is. And Job, the book, ultimately, it will ask him more questions than he gets answers to. And the, kind of, the main one of them, really, is, in one sense, Satan was right. Satan's question was, does Job really want God for himself or does he just want him for the things that he can get? And it's the, I think it's the, the deepest question the book is asking of us. Do you just want God for the things that you can get? Or do you want him for himself? Do you want him for who he is? You know, personally, I found that. I, I find this profoundly helpful. It's like it's not easy in any stretch or of the imagination. Um, I... I I've thought about the ways in which I 
long, there are certain answers I long for. I'm, I've asked myself the question, am I prepared to see God and meet him and not have all the answers to the questions I would like answered about my life? Do I want God for himself or do I want him for the answers that I think he should give me? Which do I want more? Do I long for and am I, am I, am I clinging to the Lord for who he is or do I want it for what I can get from him? I've ref- it, it, it turns over in my mind. Uh, I think it's the, the question the, the book is posing for us and certainly posing for Job. Crying and creeds, belief and brokenheartedness, in the midst of not knowing the answers. And that is where I think what we can say, like the complexity of suffering, the, the things you have to hold together, they are hard. But what we, what we can know is that none of this is because God doesn't care. None of this is because God is there thinking, I don't care about Job. I don't care about my people. I don't care about you. And how can I say that? I can say that because what Job holds together in that moment, is actually what you see Jesus supremely hold together. Jesus who says, God who says, it's not that I don't care because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you. I'm going to come to you in suffering. And I'm going to bring together that reality of the existence of, uh, as a human, that, that, that brokenheartedness, that sorrow, that crying. I'm going to come and I'm going to live that. And I'm going to hold on to belief. I'm going to hold on to who my father is, says Jesus. And you see it most supremely. You, you see it in the you think about Jesus as he comes, he lives. He goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he holds those two things together. When he says, could this cup be taken from me? The anguish, the sorrow, the, the brokenheartedness is there. He longs for his friends just to kind of, would they just be with him in the midst of that? They keep falling asleep and he's, he's agonizingly alone. He holds that together, and he says, yet not my will, but yours. He holds his belief. He holds his creed in who his father is. And he says, I've, I, I've, I've come. I, it's not that I don't care. In fact, I will walk that path for you. And I will go through to my death on your behalf. It's not that God doesn't care. In fact, he was going to walk a path of suffering in himself, in Jesus. But it means holding those two things together. It's where we start uh, with suffering. We're going to think as we go through uh, from here, I should stop. I'm going to pray and then, we'll, um, then we're going to sing. Gracious Father, we, we ask for your help. We just, Lord, we pray. We pray you would be gentle with us. Lord, for those of us who feel that we are in the bottom of a well at the moment, whose sorrow and anguish and crying is, is more than we can bear. Might, might we know you know that. Lord, those of us who are trying to figure out suffering and work out what it means and how it can fit with our understanding of who you are, Lord, would you be gracious and meet us in that? Lord, may we be people who hold the complexity of what Job is presenting to us. Doesn't settle for shallow views of suffering, but reaches for you in the midst of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.